0: Hi, friends. Welcome back to Nate Talks to His Friends about Jesus. Hi. Today, we're going to start right off where we left off last week in Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is describing people thinking that they are hot stuff. And God, in response in Isaiah, is like, looks like you need to get wrecked. Now, you've all felt that way with your kids a little bit. Like, they start getting a little full of themselves, and you're like, oh, you're going to get smacked down by the world. And you're like, I'll be here for you, but you're going to get wrecked. See, right at the very beginning of Second Nephi chapter 20, which is Isaiah chapter 10, people aren't taking care of the poor. And the reason they aren't watching out for others is because they have this belief that they are self-made men and women. Verse 13, by the strength of my hand and by my wisdom, I have done these things for I am prudent. We all have this in us that we're like, by I did this, my, my intelligence, my strength, my work ethic. I did this. Dude, this is such a joke. Everybody successful thinks that they just worked harder than everybody else. It's like when the phenomenal hitter Ted Williams went duck hunting with his friends. He just said that he looked harder and that's how he was able to see the ducks earlier than they did. It was him. He worked harder, he looked harder, and that's what paid off. It turns out when he enlisted in the military for World War II, they tested his eyesight, and his eyes were 20-10, meaning he could see at 20 feet what someone with, quote, perfect eyesight could only see at 10 feet. His skill at seeing ducks, or for that matter, baseballs or other airplanes, wasn't because he looked harder. It was because he had a God-given gift. We do this all the time. We think because we have some mental aptitude or skill that we're born with symmetrical features or we grow grow up in a place of opportunity that we're just better grinders than anybody else. It's such unmitigated nonsense. We owe it all to God's gracious gift. And we we turn around and are selfish. It's not a good look. God says in these situations, shall the ax boast itself against him that heweth it, meaning, is the axe going to boast against the lumberjacket? You're just an axe, dude. Shall the saw magnify itself against him that shaketh it? As if the rod should shake itself against that that lift it, or as the staff should lift itself up as if it weren't wood. You hear what he's saying? He's like, guys, guys, (laughs) know your role. Yeah. Therefore, shall the Lord of hosts send among his fat ones leanness, and we will deserve it. Meaning, when you get all up in yourself, you're going to get wrecked. Life is going to happen. You're not going to be looking for it. It's just going to happen. But fortunately for us, God is not like us. He doesn't neglect those who struggle because they just aren't working hard enough. I cannot tell you the level of disdain God has for that attitude where we aren't kind to those that we think are lesser or aren't giving enough effort. Anyway, once we get wrecked, and we will get wrecked, in that day, his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder, his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. He's saying, when you get wrecked, you will be helped. Not because you're something special, not because you deserve it, but because of the anointing. And this is a reference to the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. Your yoke will be destroyed because of Jesus. And when that's the case, how can you be anything but grateful? See the change in tone from I did this to pure gratitude? It's a world away. Same, same, same things happening, but a world away on the interior and on the outcome. He keeps going. He says, when Jesus comes, he's going to balance things for the poor, meaning for all of us screw-ups. He's going to take in, into consideration every bit of context in our lives, and he will help us. And the outcome will be such radical, unexpected goodness and peace that it can only be expressed in a poetic word picture. Jesus transforming us and transforming our world will be as if the wolf lives with the lamb without eating it. Or it will be like the leopard taking a nap with a young helpless goat or a lion and a calf hanging out together or a cow and a bear or a toddler and a cobra. See, what he's trying to show you is that With Jesus, there just won't be any more hurt or destruction and his rest will be glorious. He'll get everyone in on that deal. In that day, the Lord shall set his hand to recover his people and they shall set up an ensign or a gathering point in the middle of this chaos and shall assemble the outcasts. Jesus is inviting all of us broken people to him. And what if you just can't seem to get your crap together? Well, then they shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines. Heck, there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people. He's just going to make it happen. It's not about you. Are you willing? Great. Come. Somebody will friggin' give you a piggyback. Just, Just accept it. It's not about you. Just accept it. And I'm telling you, at that moment, you won't be able to resist the gratitude in your heart. You just want to yell, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And I'm telling you, once you feel this gratitude, it will just be the most natural thing in the world to invite others into this expansive peace. You'll declare his doings among his people. Isaiah says, listen, guys, things can get bad. And in fact, things probably will get bad for you. In fact, he's like, I want you to imagine the very worst outcome on this earth. Like something that would cause any man's heart to melt and his hands to feel weak. I want you to think of what would just make you full of terror. It would make you so afraid. Like if there weren't sun, there's no light from the sun. There's no light from the moon and stars. Tell me you wouldn't be freaked out. What would make you feel like a deer running from your life through the woods from a predator? What is your fear? What is the worst case scenario? Well, if that really came true, what are you going to do? If if the sun goes out, what are you going to do? Relight the sun? Come on, man. I'm telling you, when things get rough, as Isaiah says, you're not enough to fight on your own. The heaviest, heaviness of life is just going to come to all of us and it's going to crush us. But if you let him, the Lord will have mercy on you and the Lord will give you rest from thy sorrow and from thy fear and from the hard bondage wherein thou wast made to serve. And under his direction, the whole earth will come to rest. The firstborn of the poor shall feed. The needy shall lie down in safety. The Lord will found Zion and the poor of his people will be just fine. This is the promise of Isaiah. Now, after getting done reading this Isaiah to us, Nephi steps back in. I told you this is his style. He reads some scriptures and then he comments on them. And this is what Nephi has to say about what Isaiah just got done saying. He says, now I, Nephi, Do speak somewhat concerning the words which I have written, which have been spoken by the mouth of Isaiah. For behold, Isaiah spake many things which were hard for many of my people to understand. You think? For they know not concerning the manner of prophesying among the Jews. This is a huge point for you to understand. If you're not getting Isaiah, this does not make you dumb or unspiritual. It simply means that you're not immersed in Jewish culture circa 600 BC like Nephi, and that's fine. But Nephi goes on, but behold, let me give you my own prophecy according to my plainness. And as one generation has been destroyed among the Jews, remember, he has learned by revelation that the prophesied of destruction of Jerusalem has taken place. They have been destroyed, Nephi says, save it were those who are carried away captive into Babylon. But one day they shall be restored again to the land of their inheritance. And one day the only begotten of the Father, yea, even the Father of heaven and of earth, shall manifest himself unto them in the flesh. Jesus will come in the flesh. But they will reject him and they will crucify him. However, After he is laid in the sepulcher for the space of three days, he shall rise from the dead with healing in his wings. Let's go! And after the Messiah hath risen from the dead and hath manifested himself unto his people, the Jews will again be scattered by other nations. But one day they shall be persuaded to believe in Christ, the Son of God, and the atonement which is infinite for all mankind. Because the Lord will set his hand again a second time to restore his people from their lost and fallen state. He will proceed to do a marvelous work and wonder among the children of men. How is he going to do this? Well, he will bring forth his word unto them, (coughs) Book of Mormon, for the purpose of convincing them of the true Messiah. For according to the words of the prophet, the Messiah cometh in 600 years after the time that my father left Jerusalem. Now, this is not in the Bible we have access to. He's got access to some different Old Testament prophets than we do. And remember, the Old Testament is compiled after the Babylonian captivity. And the only books that aligned with the scribes' desires for a political military Messiah, those were kept. So these other ones that Nephi's got access to, apparently they're not compiled in the book. And according to the words of the prophet. His name shall be Jesus Christ, the son of God. And now my, my brethren, I have spoken plainly that you cannot err. And I say unto you that as these things are true and there is none other name given under heaven, save it be this Jesus Christ of which I have spoken whereby men can be saved. Dude, Nephi, why didn't you just start here? This is absolutely fantastic. Why'd you have to drag us through 13 chapters of Isaiah that you knew we would hate? Nephi, heaven, love you. But this is fantastic. I don't know any more clear prophecies about Jesus. This is absolutely outstanding. Anyway, here's where Nephi ends up after that. He says, so because of this, We, me and my my friends, me and my brethren, we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ. And through that belief to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. Oh, did you hear that clench up real quick for you? Do you feel that in your gut of your stomach after all I can do? Oh, I don't know if there's a scripture in all of Book of Mormondom that carries more wrong weight with you. Now, listen, I know you You have thought this phrase like um, you, you've you thought like I am saved by grace, but I got to be Good enough for it. That's how you read that verse. What that tells me is you have honestly never read this verse in context, okay? So I want you to take a step back from your previous assumptions, and I want you to read this verse in its context and see what Nephi is actually saying when he says, we know that it was by grace we are saved after all we can do. Next verse. Notwithstanding, we believe in Christ and we keep the law of Moses and look forward with a steadfastness unto Christ until the law shall be fulfilled. You you catch that after until. For this end was the law given and therefore the law hath become dead unto us and we are made alive in Christ because of our faith and we keep the law because of the commandments. Okay, let's talk this through. Again, frequently this lone phrase, it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do, is used to justify an argument that we need to be good enough before we are saved. That it's only after we are obedient enough that Christ's grace kicked in. And it is true that in this context, Nephi is using the word after to talk about a sequence of time, an event that comes later chronologically but he's not referring to grace coming later chronologically. He is saying he is currently saved in this state, that the law is dead and Jesus is alive in him. The only way you can reach the conclusion that grace comes later chronologically is by ripping this line out of context. Go back to the context real quick. Nephi and his pre-Christ descendants knew they were saved by Christ's grace, his atoning mission. Nephi and Lehi are exceedingly clear about this all over the place. But they also know that this redemptive mission is going to be fulfilled later chronologically in the meridian of time. It's a phrase they use all over the place. But they are also clear that even though they are saved by Jesus, they continue to do all they can which Nephi says in their context is to keep the law of Moses. And they don't keep the law of Moses to be saved. They keep it out of gratitude because that's what God has asked them to do. We do the same thing with the, the word of wisdom. We don't not drink coffee because coffee somehow is like keeping you out of heaven. Plenty of saints have drank coffee before this was a lot again in the temple and they're in heaven. Okay, drinking coffee doesn't keep you out. You do it because God asks you to, and you're grateful. All we can do is do what God asks because we're so grateful. You feel that tone? This passage is not an argument of doing good works to the point when grace kicks in. Rather, it is a recognition that we are saved by grace through the coming of Christ to perform the atonement, which chronologically comes after. All right? that Jesus is going to come after. It is not through the works of the law of Moses. And Nephi is making basically the exact same argument that Paul makes in Galatians in chapters two and three. Christ's atonement is the greatest manifestation and source of grace. It's full of blessings. And it's full blessings. Sorry, I'm botching this. It's full blessings came after Nephi's life chronologically when, Nephi, when Jesus fulfilled the law of Moses and was resurrected. Therefore, Nephi and others teach their children about Christ as the source of remission of sins. We talk of Christ. We rejoice of Christ. We preach of Christ. We prophesy of Christ. And we write according to our prophecies that our children may know that to what source they may look for a remission of their sins, Nephi teaches about the deadness of the law, the deadness of, we would say, of just empty obedience and the purpose for which the law was given. Wherefore, we speak concerning the law, or obedience, we would say more regularly in our lingo, that our children may know of the deadness of the law. And they, by knowing the deadness of the law, the deadness of obedience, they may look forward to that life which is in Christ. Listen, he's... Do you understand what he's saying? I'm not trying to tell you don't be obedient. If you hear that, you're not hearing me. You're obedient because God asks you to and you love him and you're just grateful. You're not perfect, but you're just trying to be a good family member and you're just trying to contribute in the way you know how. That's how you do it. It, Like... We are saved by Jesus, he is saying. Jesus, 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 who will come after them. And and if you're still not getting it, give me a call. We can talk about it. But when you actually read this verse in context, it's it's baffling that someone could claim from this verse that Latter-day Saints deny grace. Because what Nephi is actually writing here is a very Pauline-like statement to his children and brethren that even after all they can do under the law of Moses, which they still must obey because it has been commanded of them and is part of their covenant relationship to God, it is only the grace of Christ, not the law that can save them. I hope you feel that. I hope that alleviates something in your soul. I hope you like, just try him on this. Let go of this self-idolatry and just trust that Jesus has got you. It's good stuff, man. And I'm telling you, when we actually read scriptures in context, it makes a huge difference. Then Nephi finishes up his claims. He says, wherefore, I've spoken plainly unto you about Jesus that you cannot misunderstand if you actually read it in context. And the words which I have spoken are sufficient to teach any man the right way. What's the right way? The right way is to believe in Christ and deny him not, he says. (laughs) You can't get any more clear. And now behold, I say unto you that the right way is to believe in Christ and deny him not. And Christ is the Holy One of Israel. Wherefore, you must bow down before him. You must worship him with all your might, mind and strength and with your whole soul. And things will be amazing. Dude, I got to say, Nephi, next time will you seriously just talk? Like, this is absolutely fantastic. Like, stop reading me, stupid Isaiah, and you just teach. This is why Nephi and others, like, like the unique contribution here. This is why the Book of Mormon is such an exceptional Christian literature. This argument in favor of, touching, of trusting Jesus is truly just unmatched. It's phenomenal. And can I just echo Nephi? Can I just make Nephi's words my words here? Cause it's so good. There is none other name given under heaven. Not your name, not the prophet's name, not your bishop's name, not any other name. There is none other name given under heaven. Save it be this Jesus Christ of which I have spoken whereby man can be saved. So I talk of Christ. I rejoice in Christ. I preach of Christ. I prophesy of Christ. So that my friends may know where to look for a remission of where the, when they miss the mark, when they sinned. So come with me today and worship him. Worship Jesus with everything you have right now. Worship Him in your mind. Worship Him with your strength. Worship Him with your whole soul. Do the mental, emotional work to trust Him. Really believe that you are made whole right now through Him. And even if it's hard for you to cling to that, do it. Take that leap of faith even if you don't get it. Even if it's hard to wrap your mind around it, do it. And then go out and help somebody else fill that wholeness. It's a good way to live on this mortal plane. I don't know if there's anything better to (laughs) spend your life doing than filling whole and complete yourself and going out and helping others fill fill whole and complete. It's God's message to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.